I am, my name is Paul Weisbrod. I've been at this church for a long, long time, relative to the length of my lifespan, at least one-third now. Um, I am nervous today. For one, as you can hear, my voice is probably not going to make it to the end of this, which is fine. So just emotionally prepare yourselves for me squeaking like I'm 14 or 13 years old. And um, it's not like a bad nervousness. It's like an excited nervousness because I feel like I have something for you today that God has given to me to share with you that can really make a difference in the way that you approach life, in the way that you do life. So um, I'm going to be um, speaking today out of Acts chapter 9. We're going to jump around a little bit, but that's going to be my main, main passage. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And I want to title this sermon today, Preach It to the Old Place. Preach it to the old place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be here today amongst us and that the words that I speak to your people would be the words that you would have me speak, that they would come directly from you, God, that your spirit would move here today and that you would make yourself known for who you are and what you've done, and not something preconceived that we have, God, but for who you truly are. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen, amen. So, <clears throat> Acts 9, verse 1, and this is going to be a really familiar story to most of us, especially those of us who grew up in church or have just been attending church for a long time. This is the, this is the, the moment in the Bible the, the time period in the Bible where Saul really, truly, converts into Paul. Um, he, Paul is responsible for writing about half of the New Testament, the epistles, um, after the Gospels are, are over with. He, so he's, he really spread the Gospel to, the, to everywhere that wasn't in Jerusalem, honestly. He, I mean, he's responsible for a lot. He had a big job to do, a big job that God gave him, but he didn't start there. That's not where he started. And we're going to, let's just jump right in. Everybody say jump. Meanwhile, verse 1, meanwhile Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. That's not good. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Saul was a... Saul believed he was doing the right thing with all of his heart. He believed that he was getting rid of a, a, an offshoot, a cult of people that were, were, were misinformed, that believed something that was false, and he wanted to stop it. And he wanted to have the people who were propagating this lie, he thought, he wanted them to be stopped. He wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem, men and women, which is interesting that it's denoted there. So he's not just like after the guys, he's after everybody. He's fully committed to making sure that he gets this job done. So he's... Really it's just, really it's a bad idea with good intentions. 
And I think most of us have, have had a bad idea with good intentions in our, our lifetimes. So we can't judge him too harshly for that. We're getting to the good part. The rest of this whole thing is the good part. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, the mission to get rid of the believers, essentially, to, to, to take them down, to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains so they can be judged. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Everybody say suddenly. Once in a while, not always, I wouldn't even say frequently. Once in a while, you, I, will have a suddenly moment with God. Where you're on your way to do something, oftentimes a bad idea with good intentions, and you'll have a suddenly moment with God. There's suddenly a light shines down all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Sometimes that suddenly moment is not entirely comfortable. My father, whom I respect very much, had a saying a long time ago that I'll never forget. He said, sometimes God will knock you off your stump. You get on your stump, you stand up there, and you think about how important you are and how good you are at everything and how much you're doing for God. And, 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 and then it really, what happens when you're standing on your stump, when you place yourself on an elevated position, is you end up feeling like who's doing most of the work? Not, not God. It's me. I'm the one doing most of the work. I'm the one that's making these choices, Right? I'm glad it wasn't mine. Mine's right here. I made sure I put it on an airplane before I came up here. <laughs> but we get on that stump and we end up thinking, well, I'm doing you a favor, God. I mean, I could have been drafted to any team and I chose yours. Right? We end up starting to think that way, don't we? I deserve lots of blessings, God. How could you let this happen to me? Look at all that I've done for you. Nobody else could do this. What I've done, we end up thinking that way. And when that happens, God will, a lot of times, he will knock you off your stump because you don't belong there. You, do, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be elevating yourself to a position where you, where you think, because you're not actually doing it, but like you're preaching down to God. You're talking down to God and telling him how things should be done. He's the one who decides those things, not you and not me. And it's, it's a trap that we can get ourselves into. Suddenly, the light shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Isn't it interesting that he's going around trying to chain up men and women and Jesus shines a light down around him and says, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you after my people? He didn't say that. And we're going to get to this a little bit later. I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to like spoiler alert this whole thing. But it's, it's, 
Paul wasn't persecuting people. He was persecuting an idea. He was persecuting a movement. He was persecuting a person. And that person was the person of Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all of the law, who was the Messiah. And he wasn't comfortable with that. Paul wasn't, Saul wasn't comfortable with that. We're going to have to use this interchangeably because otherwise we're all going to be confused. The one you are persecuting. Jesus is with you. Just like he was with them. The Bible says that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. That Jesus comes to live inside of you. That he's with you. Closer than a brother, actually. So he's with you when you're beaten down and trampled on and troubled and preyed upon and broken and stolen from, robbed. He's with you. He's with you. This is, I feel like this message, this sermon, I feel like I'm filling airspace until I get to the part that I'm really excited about because what I'm really excited about would take like two seconds to tell you but then what would we do? We would just stare at each other for 40 minutes? I don't know. I don't golf. I can't talk to anybody about golf or something like that. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. <clears throat> the, men stood, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself off off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Everybody say, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I'm going to jump to Psalm 23 quickly, and it'll be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest. I like the King James better, not often, but in this case I do. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. When Saul stood up, he was blind. Who made Saul blind? God did. Has God ever made you lie down before? Has he ever made you lie down in green meadows, good grazing pastures? He makes me lie down in green meadows. Saul was made, i got to jump back and forth a little bit just so I don't get mixed up. He was made to lie down for a moment. And again, that's not always comfortable. And I'm not here to tell you that it always will be comfortable, but sometimes it's what's necessary. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name, even though I walk through the, the darkest valley. Blind's pretty dark. Amen? Blind is pretty dark. 
Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He guides me along right paths. Can I tell you something today? This is a secret. The right path with the wrong view is never the right path at all. The right path, the road to Damascus, while you can still see what you're doing, while you can still lead yourself, when you're the one calling the shots and determining which way to go, when you're not blind, when you're not being led by the hand, when you're going the right direction with the wrong view, the wrong attitude, that's not the right way at all. He guides me along right past, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. We'll jump back there in a minute. Saul was blinded by God. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Saul was stricken with grief. Of course he was. You hear that? You hear the 13-year-old starting? It's coming. Of course he was. Of course he was. It only makes sense. His whole worldview has been turned upside down in less than five minutes. He went from persecuting all the followers of the way everybody who's following Jesus, trying to drag them back to Jerusalem in chains, to who are you, Lord? Just like that, in an instant. He's grieving. He doesn't know up or down. He can't see. He's been led by the hand, this strong person who thought he was doing the right thing all this time, his whole entire life. Now he's being led by the hand to Damascus to make sure that he's not the one calling the shots. He's not the one determining where to go. He's got to be led by the hand. Sometimes we do too. Everybody say, this is the good part. You said that last time. Now there was a believer in Damascus. We're in verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But God, surely not him. Not Saul. I know all about Saul. He's got tattoos on his eyelids. He's scary. I even heard he smokes cigarettes. You know, I've told this story before. 
there is um, there is there is one time not there is one time I was up here talking just like this I did a better job than I'm doing right now and I get I get through this I like I have this powerful message I wish I could remember what it was about because I would tell you I would I would tell you what it was, but I did a good job. All of my sermons are written on notes like this. It's a folded in half piece of paper. Sometimes it's on an index card. So they don't really file very well. So they end up getting flipped over and written on again, and eventually they go in the recycling bin. So if I could tell you what it was about, I would. But I did a good job, okay? I remember being very, I was on my stump. I was like, yes, Paul, you've done a very good job. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? I was patting myself on the back. And I get done, and I step down. We were in this sanctuary. I stepped down right here. was right there. Right there. Like, there would be a chalk outline of me on the ground when this took place, okay? So I'm right there, and Katie, my wife, who's not here today, she came right up to me, and she, like, arms open. Like, she's, like, so excited. Like, I'm like, yes, this is it. She's going to tell me that I did a good job, that she loves me, that there won't be a mountain of pillows tonight in our bedroom, right? Like there's not going to be, there's no walls of Jericho, right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, yes, this is it. The holy man of God is, you know what she said to me? Some of you know this story. Some of you were here. Because I'll never stop using this example. You know what she told me? She, she gave me a big hug. She leaned in real close, and she whispered in my ear, your zipper's down. <laughs> the whole time. The entire time, my zipper was down. I was doing a good job. I was pacing back and forth. I'm, like, getting after it. Probably did some of these. I don't know. I probably had brightly colored on boxer briefs. It wasn't good. So all of that to say this, right, at my own expense. Sometimes you expect God to be bound by your expectations. Sometimes you expect God to be bound by your expectations. Sometimes we think God's going to do it this way. God's going to do it this way. He's going to save my marriage this way. It's just going to happen. Right? Fire's going to come down from heaven, and there won't be any wall of Jericho in the middle of the bed. Does, right? Sometimes we think that God's going to do it our way. God is not bound by your expectations. Surely not him, not Saul. I know all about Saul. He's been authorized to do whatever he wants with us. He's persecuting us, God. He can't, no, not him. Surely not Saul. God didn't tell Ananias that his zipper was down. But it's close. But the Lord said. But the Lord said. Go. Go. For Saul is my chosen instrument. 
Saul is my chosen instrument. Do you know when God chose you? Do you know when he picked you out? Before he invented time, before God created the universe, the Bible says, before he formed the universe, he knew you by name. He knew exactly who you are, exactly who you would be. He knew exactly what you would look like. God is not bound by your expectations, good or bad. I'm not saying that all of your expectations are, are the wrong. We can expect bad things, and God wants to give good things. And some of us lean toward that tendency, and I'm here to tell you today that that's not right. That's not what God has for you. Listen to what he says. Not to what the devil or that, that dark voice of your flesh says to you. That has no place in your life anymore. That has no place in your life anymore. God is not bound by those expectations. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. He's the one I picked. He's the one I picked. What would you, sorry, that was a cough drop. It's really working well with this laryngitis thing, though. I broke it on accident. How embarrassing. Anyway, God speaks to Ananias. Can you imagine being Ananias right now? That guy drug my grandma to jail. My best friend was stoned to death because of him. What do you mean, Saul? It takes on a whole different light if you think about it a little bit more. I knew Stephen. He's the one who told me the gospel. Saul? God is not bound by your expectation. He can do exceedingly above, beyond, above, wider, higher, deeper, way, way more than what you're expecting that he can do. He can turn Saul's into Paul's, which is the holiest name of, 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 of possible names. <laughs> Amen. The, the key that I don't want you to miss in, in what I'm saying in all of this is that God chose Saul. He picked him on purpose. Everybody say on purpose. Everybody say on purpose like you mean it. He, he, picked, he picked him on purpose. I want to take you to the Gospels. I have way more verses today than I've ever had in the history of Spirit of Grace Church. To John 19, 18. And I'm going to read it off the screen with you guys so I don't have to page through. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him. One on either side with Jesus between them. Luke 23, 33. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Mark 15, 27. The revolu two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. 
And finally, Matthew 27, 38. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Now, some details are recorded in all four Gospels. Not a lot. Like, of the, of, the, of the key stories that we really focus on, the things that we grab a hold of, right? Like the prodigal son. That's not in all four. This detail is recorded in all four Gospels. Holy Spirit, give me the right words. Every, record, every writer records Jesus being in the middle. He's in the middle. He's the man in the middle. He's on the middle cross. How did Jesus end up there anyway? How did Jesus end up on the cross anyway? Was it bad timing? Did he do it out of obligation? A need that God felt to fix something that was broken? Was it trickery? You just got tricked into going on the cross? Was it a bad turn of events? Was it just an accident? No. 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 It wasn't. It wasn't any of those things. Jesus chose to go to the cross. Pilate said to Jesus, and I'm stealing like all of Easter two weeks early. So Pilate said to Jesus, they're kind of having this back and forth, this trial. And in John, it records Pilate saying to him, why, why aren't you answering any of my questions? Don't you hear what they're saying about you? Don't you realize that I have the power to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus says back to Pilate, no. You have no power over me except that what is given to you. You don't have any power over me except for the power that I, get, that I give to you, that I choose to give to you. A gift is given. The giver chooses to give the gift, right? You choose to give your kids, your family members presents at Christmas time. You choose to give birthday presents. You don't have to give them to everyone. You choose those whom you want to give them to. Jesus chose compelled by love to go to the cross for you and for me. And we get wrapped up in the four, right? We get wrapped up, oh, he did this for me. He did it as you. Because that's what we all deserve, right? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's the payout. The two week, you know, you put in your 80 hours over two weeks of sin, what you're going to read on the check is death. That's, that's what the answer to sin is. That's, that's what you get out of it. It's fun for a minute, but the payout is death. Pilate asked him, don't you realize that I have this power over you to set you free or to crucify you? No, you don't. It was given to you from above. I chose to give it to you because I am choosing to go to the cross. God chose Saul. He chose you. He chooses us. God's not 
is a word for someone today. God's not stuck with you. He's not, he's not like begrudgingly dragging you along through life and then into eternity. Like, well, geez, I wish Paul would just do a better job, but, you know, checked all the boxes, so I guess I got to bring him. That's not how it is. He did it on purpose. He wanted to. He chose to go to the cross for you. Love is a choice. He chose to do that for us. He's not stuck with you. So when we read words like, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. It is finished. A lot of times, like I get this sense, that a lot of times we end up thinking about God, thinking about Jesus like he's looking at us when we mess up, that he's looking at us from the cross with this sense of disappointment. Jesus did gaze at you and I from the cross because the Bible says that he knew Jesus is God. Amen? Jesus is God. So he knew. He knew everything that you would do wrong. He knew every, every wrong turn that you would take. He knew everything that he would have to die for. He bore the weight of it all, all of it. Everybody say all of it. He bore the weight of it all. Jesus gazed at you and I from the cross, not with disappointment or sadness, not with rejection, not with anger, and certainly not with a grudge. Jesus sacrificed himself on that middle cross. He placed himself there because of love. His love for you compels him. It compels him. It compels him. He's chasing after you. I'm going to go back to Psalm 23 for just a second. Just the very last verse, because I'm starting to run out of time. Verse number six. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Surely he is pursuing you. Not with unsteady love. Jesus didn't hang there with disappointment in his eyes. I'm telling you that he, he's chasing after your heart. He loves you with a love that is unfailing, pursuing you all the days of your life. Jesus loves you with a love that is not weak. It's not like your husband's love or your wife's love or your dad's love or your mom's love or your best friend's love or your kid's love. There is no condition because it's real love. God says in the Bible that he is love. That's who he is. His love for you consumed him to the point of the cross. It compels him to chase after you. He's not stuck with you. He's compelled. He loves you. He is after you all the days of your life. 100%. He's not stuck with you. You're not the last kid picked on the team. 
surely his unfailing love will chase after you all the days of your life. His love is unfailing. His love is what made him bridge the gap that we never could. Sorry, my nose is running. I'm starting to cry. Can I just say something really quick? On the expectation part, I forgot to make a really good point because I did this as an object lesson. The only person who said anything to me about my mustache was Owen. So the sense of expectation in this church is you guys are really getting an A+, because nobody even said anything to me about it. I can't believe you guys should have expected me with a full beard like normal. But I am not bound by your expectations. God is chasing after you. Isn't that amazing? He's chasing after you. Like it or like it or not, right? His unfailing love. It doesn't end. Can I tell you something? We're getting squeaky again. Can I tell you some, something? Can I tell you something? His love doesn't give up. I've got news for you. You're the one sheep. You are. Every single one of us is the one sheep. And he will leave the 99, and he will track you down and drag you out of the thorn bush that you got yourself stuck in, and he will bring you back. He will chase you down. His love is pursuing you. It's unfailing. It doesn't end. There's no condition. No matter how bad you screw up, no matter how bad you've screwed up, his love doesn't stop. His love doesn't stop. Surely his unfailing love will be chasing you all of your life. All right. So you say to yourself, well, that's really cool, Paul. Thanks for that. That was a good pep talk. Now what do I do? Because I'm still here with all the same problems with all the same hang-ups, with all the same issues, with all the same family members, with all the same job problems, with all the same addictions, with all the same baggage, with all the same... Insert your problem here, right? Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Starting at verse 13. But Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. Everybody say go. Everybody say go again. For Saul is my chosen instrument. Everybody underline the word chosen in your neighbor's Bible, please. Go for Saul as my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went. You know, and this is an aside. Sometimes when God tells us to go, we just need to went. We just need to, we just need to go. Because I'm nervous sometimes. I was nervous today. I told you that already. If you came in late, you missed it. Sorry. 
I was nervous today. We're all nervous sometimes about something that God is asking us to do. You're like, what? Like, God, are you kidding me? That dream is a little bit too big. Have you ever met me before? I can't even balance my checkbook. Raise, I have, under oath, I have not paid a bill since I've been married. Not one. I don't even know how. I don't even know the password to our bank account. I have no idea how much money we have. I'm blessed. I don't know why. I did. Maybe that was just a confession. I don't know. I just felt like I needed to tell you that. Very good wife. So Ananias went, and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly. Everybody say instantly. Everybody say instantly like you mean it. Now say instantly like you had coffee this morning. Thank you. This is, we're good. We're getting there. Eventually, I won't have to coach you guys through this. Instantly. Again, i got to qualify this. Raise your hand if you've had an instantly moment with God. All right, lower them down. Raise your hand again if you've had more instantlys than slowlies. Wow, zero hands. Amazing. They're rare. They're rare. Instantly moments, suddenly moments, they're rare. Don't get frustrated with yourself in the process. Okay? The saying Rome wasn't built in a day, neither, neither were you. you. You took a lifetime developing these habits, developing these things, and God's going to take care of them one at a time. Okay? Don't get frustrated with yourself in the process. I don't know who that's for today, but that's for somebody. Don't get frustrated with yourself in the process. Don't, don't push yourself ahead of, don't, don't, I should be here, but I'm still here. Where does God say you should be? What has God asked you to do? Are you adding things to the program that God hasn't added to the program? You can, you can, do, you can do things. You can make decisions that are good for you. But if, if you're stressing out, if you're killing yourself over, over or trying to be at the next step already, okay, chief in this, raising my hand, okay? My name's Paul, and I'm an over-trier, I guess, not achiever. If you're feeling broken down and beaten up because you're not, of he- you're, not, you're not where you think you should be, stop and take a second. Take a moment and ask God if you're where he wants you to be. Because the Bible... God's expectations are not unrealistic, okay? He gives you the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be able to do what he's asking you to do and not more. He doesn't ask everybody to do what I'm up here doing. He doesn't ask everybody to play the drums or the guitar or sing. He doesn't ask you to be able to pray for two hours straight at, from three to five in the morning without falling asleep, okay? Because nobody can do that. It's impossible, He doesn't ask more of you than what he wants of you. you got to be careful because you can listen to yourself more than you listen to God and you can place all kinds of things on yourself 
that don't belong there. Ask God about your suddenlies because more often it's slowly. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Instantly. And he regained his sight, and then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Take a breath. Okay, give yourself some slack. Take, yeah, right, like yoga breaths, whatever, I don't know. What's the lamaze, whatever it takes for you to, like, calm yourself down a little bit and realize that you're not perfect. Okay, because it's not God's will for you to just beat yourself up all the time. And maybe that's not all of your tendencies. I can tell you that it's mine. Why'd you do this again? You're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that again, Paul. You don't even deserve to hold a microphone on Sunday mornings, once every three months or whatever, a month. Don't place expectations on yourself that God hasn't placed on you. Because if you do that, then there was no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. Okay, and I know I'm drawing a big line there, but I think if you think about that over the course of this afternoon or this week, that you'll find that those places where you're expecting too much of yourself, that you're drawing a big line too. That you're, 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 you're placing, you're, you're trying to, trying to be Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus, but I'm, I'm not Jesus. He lives inside of me. He helps me. He directs me. He guides me. But I'm not him. I'm not perfect. We have to give ourselves a little bit of slack. Okay, back to what I was saying a couple minutes ago. I have exactly like no minutes left to finish this. Now what? Now what, preacher guy? What do I do with all this information? Now that I know that there's a God out there that loves me and this and that and he's chosen me. And I love that pastor, pastors, our pastors, inform people who are about to be baptized and about to make a decision to follow Christ, right? They're about to decide that that's what they're going to do with the rest of their life. They're committing to him. They tell them, hey, don't be surprised when you get a whole bunch of resistance after this. Don't be surprised if people start coming out of woodwork that has been, like, that you left at the last house. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, there's trim boards popping up in the garage full of people coming out of the woodwork that you didn't even know you brought with you. The devil, your flesh. They use the old stuff. You use the old stuff. The practical application, the, the what I want you to do is in this last verse. Well, half a verse, one and a half verses. Saul stayed with the believers, verse 19.5. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. 
I want to come back to the title of my message. You need to preach it to the old place. You have to realize you can blow right past this when you're reading this and go, oh, that's a nice story. That's where Paul lived his whole life. That's where his whole, everything was centered around the synagogue, around the temple, around religion, around rules, and knowing them, all of them. Every single one, following them the best that he could. And then he built his whole life around making sure that these imposters, these followers of the way, these people following some guy named Jesus, getting rid of them because they're all misinformed and they're not doing this right and they're, they're dishonoring my God. That's what he's thinking, right? After his suddenly moment, after his instantly moment, after your instantly moment or your slowly moment, moments, you need to preach it to the old place. And you probably don't have the right words. And that's what this book is for. Everything you need to know about yourself and where God sees you, what standing you have with him, is right here. If nothing else, if you don't want to read your Bible, if you can't read your Bible, you don't even have to read to be a follower of Christ. You can say to the old place, he chose me. I know that he chose me. A lot of times, in another group that I lead, called Catalyst, I say a lot. Immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. He's preaching to his former peers. He's going back to the people that were just like he was, following rules, all about the rules. the religious leaders, the Pharisees, right? The biggest Pharisee that you have to deal with in your life is you. Who's the leader of the synagogue now? You. Your body's a temple for the Holy Spirit. You're the one that's in charge, right, of your temple, of upkeep. You're the religious leader of your body. And sometimes that person comes in and says, you don't measure up. Sometimes the devil will come in and say, you don't deserve this. You think he actually cares about you? You think this is what God has for you? You're just a mistake. In Revelation, the Bible describes the voice of Jesus as being the sound of mighty, thunderous waves. King James, I think, says, many waters is the voice of many waters. So you can say to the old place with a voice that's not yours, with a voice that thunders like many waters, that roars like ocean waves, he chose me. I don't care what you say about me, me. I don't care what you say about me, devil. I don't care what you say about me, friend, family member, person who cares about me. I don't care what you say about me because he chose me. He chose me. He picked me before the beginning of time. He picked you before the beginning of time. He looked at you from the cross. He gazed at you from the cross with love, not with judgment, not with indignation, not with disappointment. He wasn't sad to be there. He went through it because he wanted to, because he wanted a relationship with you, with me. 
So preach it to the old place. Show back up in the synagogue of your life, which is right here. And you can say, no, 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 no. He chose me. He wanted me. I'm not a mistake. This isn't an accident. I can't screw this up. I'm not too far gone. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. He chose me. He chose me. And he chose me with a voice that sounds like thundering ocean waves. He didn't choose me kind of. He didn't choose me like, well, I guess. He chose you because he wanted you. Because if you were the only one, it still would have been worth it to him. Because he loves you with everything that he has. His unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life. Let's stand. Father God, we ask that you would bless the remaining.